It is your Wednesday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand. Happy to be with you for another day and a good one. It is a good show coming up. Rachel Blount from the Star Tribune will join me here in just a little bit to talk horse racing, to talk about you know things that Canterbury Park is doing well when it comes to horse safety, a big uh, big topic of conversation nationally in horse racing right now with a new national governing body oversight board, new rules, things like that in place to tackle this problem that's been going on. More deaths even just recently at Churchill Downs. It's been a real problem there. So Rachel and I, Rachel and I will get into that. We'll get into the start of the season at Canterbury, and we will get into a little bit of a look ahead at her big story coming up in a little while on the 50th anniversary of Secretariat winning the Triple Crown. Um, get to the Twins and the Lynx, and an interesting um, factoid tidbit, um, you know, bit of uh, speculation maybe about Gerson Rosas, the former Timberwolves boss who has been uh, working with the Knicks for the last year. First, though, what did I miss? This is a big one. On Tuesday, we learned that Diamond Sports, um, which runs and owns all of the Bally Sports uh, regional sports networks, they are go- not going to make a payment to the Padres, part of a large contract owed to the Padres. And, of course, Diamond Sports in bankruptcy proceedings right now since March. They're skipping that payment, which means rights to broadcast the Padres are immediately reverting back to control by Major League Baseball. And Major League Baseball will, in fact, be showing the Padres game on Wednesday today. That That is an interesting, very interesting development for a number of reasons, most of which um, for you, uh, because the Twins are involved in a potentially similar, although not completely the same situation as the Padres. So let me explain why this is such a big deal. And the first reason, of course, is that this is the first team for whom this has happened. There's been rumblings, rumors that this could happen to any number of Major League Baseball teams. Major League Baseball has been preparing for this since this past offseason, creating its own kind of media division in case it needed to take over games. And so now that this has happened, and on the you know, Bally's, is, Bally's and Diamond Sports are walking away from a really large contract with the Padres. This was supposed to run through, I believe, 2032. The overall deal was worth more than a billion dollars, although it was very lengthy, a very long deal. Um, just the fact that this is the first one where it's happened. This is kind of the first domino to fall. That you know takes it from theory to practice. So it is it has actually happened now. Now the other the other main reasons why this is interesting is a now that it's happened, we have a framework for what this what what this looks like. So based on the reporting uh, in the in the Associated Press story that I'm that I that's on StarTribune.com and that I'm looking at, um, this is how the games will be shown or the how they will be available to fans. It says the games will be available over. Uh, fans who have subscriptions to DirecTV, Cox, Spectrum, AT&T, U- Universe, and Fubo. Major League Baseball, reading directly from the story, will also offer a direct-to-consumer streaming subscription for $19.99 a month or $74.99 for the rest of the season by registering at MLB TV. Um, that's notable because in the past, you could not stream legally a baseball game um, in, in these markets um, you could not stream them through MLB uh, in in the home market. So basically, you you could get the MLB package, but all you could get was out of market games. So if you're a Twins fan living in uh, 
I don't know, like Texas, you could stream the Twins, you could get that package, you could get the Twins games. But if you were a Twins fan living in Eden Prairie, Minneapolis, any number of places in the, in the metro area or whatever the coverage area is of the Twins and Bally Sports North, you could not stream those games. They would be blacked out. That is being lifted in this model. So for $20, you can pay for just access to the Padres in this case. Um, so just kind of knowing how this looks in this particular case kind of gives you a window into how this could look for the Twins. Now, how soon that could happen for the Twins is another question, but the Twins are part of a hearing today in Houston, and Phil Miller, our Twins writer, will be there. He's been there covering the Twins Houston series, and that he that hearing is this morning, that bankruptcy hearing this morning um, in Houston. The Twins are there um, along with the Guardians, the Rangers, and Diamondbacks, um, basically, Bally, Bally and Diamond Sports are arguing that they can reduce the rights fee payments to those teams. The Major League Baseball and those teams are saying, hey, if you're not going to pay us in full, you need to revert those rights back to Major League Baseball. I don't know if we're going to get a ruling today, tomorrow. And in the Twins' case, it's not quite as urgent because their rights with Bally Sports North expire at the end of this season anyway. But if the judge rules in a certain way, you could see a bunch more teams, including the Twins, have their rights immediately or soon revert back to the uh, revert back to Major League Baseball having control of them, having the team be control of them, and you can see how it might play out in this market. If you haven't had access to the Twins through Bally Sports North, you haven't been able to stream them because even though Bally Sports North and Diamond introduced this app, this Bally Sports Plus app, um, at the at the start of the NBA and NHL seasons this past year for twenty dollars a month, you can't get the Twins through that app because they don't have the digital rights. So. If this happened this way, there would be an option probably for you to be able to pay for Twins access even if you don't have a cable or satellite or any kind of streaming, uh, like a larger streaming subscription. You could just get a standalone product even if you live in the Twin Cities. So that's why this is really interesting to me, that we're kind of seeing how this model will potentially look. And even if it doesn't happen for the Twins right now, you can imagine this is maybe how it will look in 2024 if and when those Bally, you know, if, if and when the Bally rights revert back somewhere, you know, not not revert at that point, they would expire. If that's the route the Twins want to go and Major League Baseball is very clear that they want to collect as many rights to teams as possible, this is what it could look like. You could see a model going forward where either you have the Twins through your traditional cable or satellite and they've got rights fees figured out or you can buy a standalone package with just the Twins games and you can get the Twins even in the even in this market for a fee. Now, I think the games are going to be free for the Padres through like the end of the week through MLB TV, so there's a little bit of a grace period for people who are like, "Where'd my games go? What's going on? I'm not used to watching it this way." I don't know how that looks on your TV if you live in San Diego, but the, you know, What's what's also notable about this is the Padres are saying that their reach, the number of fans that they'll be able to reach through this through this uh um their home television market basically expands from 1.13 million homes to th to almost 3.3 million homes. So basically, they're almost tripling how many homes they can reach in the San Diego market with this with this uh with this potential new deal. So. That would be notable, too, if the Twins ever went to this. I'm sure they would get a lot more potential subscribers, a lot more potential people who could watch the Twins. Less frustration once people figured out what this looked like. So, again, 
This is just the first domino that falls, so it is very interesting to see how it looks. Now we have a glimpse kind of into the model, at least that MLB and you know MLB is using initially. Don't know if that's going to be the model going forward. Don't know if that looks the same in every market. What we do know is that's what's happening right now. That is what has happened already with San Diego, and we will certainly be watching to see what happens with this bankruptcy case and what happens with the ruling, if there is a ruling today or possibly tomorrow in Houston involving the Twins and other teams. So the future's coming. I wrote about it, you know, over the weekend. You know, the the future is accelerating faster and faster in terms of how you get games. Um, this is this is you know an exciting and interesting domino to fall. Sounds like the Padres are kind of excited to be a test case to see how this goes, to see how many people sign up for this and want to do it this way. See how the economic model works. A lot of things still to sort out. But it's gone from the hypothetical to the real now, and we'll start to see how it works, at least in San Diego, and maybe with the Twins very soon. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Happy to bring in Rachel Blount on today's podcast. Um, covers a lot of things for the Star Tribune. I think I've covered. I think I've talked to you, Rachel, for three, four, five different subjects over the the course of the last couple of years, whether it's Olympics, I think maybe we talked St. Thomas one time, just a lot of different things, obviously, that you do and do well at the Star Tribune. And one of the the primary things is is horse racing and had a really interesting piece late last week on you know this subject that's national of, of horse safety in horse racing and what Canterbury is doing, you know, the track obviously out in Shakopee, what they're doing and they had their opener on on Saturday, kind of their approach to it, but also just kind of this the kind of national oversight that, that is part of the process now. And like we were talking about before we started recording, another death at Churchill Downs over the weekend. Like this is a this is a major issue that Canterbury is trying to tackle with, you know, with some of what they're doing, but still a lot of a lot of things up in the air right now, at least nationally. Very much so. The brand new National Safety Authority, which is called the Horse Racing Safety and Integrity Authority, that just came into being last July. So it's not even a year old, but they're now stepping in at Churchill Downs. This is the first time there's been any kind of a national group with any uh, authority to come in and, and enforce any regulations. So the deal now at Churchill is after the 12th death in one month, which wow. happened Saturday, I mean, it's an extraordinarily high rate of, of fatal injury. That's absolutely unheard of. So this new authority is now going in. They will independently look at the track surface. They are convening a summit of veterinarians to go over the uh, mortality reviews on all the horses that died to see if they can find any commonality with the fatal injuries. They're doing all kinds of things now to try to find out what happened. And in the past, it would have been up to the track and the state horse racing authority to do that. And in from state to state, there's 32 different states with horse racing. Some states have practically no rules. And so now we finally have a national body of rules that everyone has to abide by. And I think we'll see uh, swifter action and probably better action this time around to find out what is happening at Churchill Downs and, and get it stopped. 
this isn't just a, a Churchill issue or Churchill problem. Obviously, it's it's a big problem there, but this is, you know, this goes beyond that. And, you know, it, it, whether it's something with the track, whether there's some other common link probably remains to be seen. But, you know, as as they've kind of developed this oversight in the first place, what are, what are some of the things that they're concerned about? I mean, is it a lot of still the the some of the the drugs with the horses is it you know just what what is it that that's that's that that has that has their the kind of the red flags raised already well the track surfaces are one thing you have to make sure that your track surface is what they call kind to the horse's legs the breeding of the thoroughbred is something that's been discussed quite a lot in recent generations people have bred more for two-year-olds to go to the sale ring and show immediate speed By breeding for those qualities, they are breeding out the endurance and the sturdiness that used to be part of the thoroughbred. You'll Mm. see now, if you look at pictures from current thoroughbreds and compare those to to old-time thoroughbreds, these legs are much thinner and more delicate than they used to be. So that is an issue that that perhaps our breeding practices have bred a more fragile horse. Uh, some of the things at Canterbury that they do are they check, um, they do a postmortem on every horse and they look to see were there any uh, instabilities in that horse? Were there any uh, red flags with it? They check uh, hearts, they check uh, bone structures, all kinds of things. So there, yeah, those are probably the two big things would be the track surface and the the actual uh, sturdiness itself of the horse. And how did Canterbury become somewhat of a leader in this? Because a lot of what's happening nationally was being mandated nationally they're already they were already doing there for for a number of years right that is correct and i think it is partly because of who we are as a state minnesotans generally are people that are not averse to rules and regulations <laughs> yes we know that there are some states that <laughs> are you know that just they don't want anything to be regulated and in minnesota we're okay with regulations generally if they're meant to be to keep people or animals safe if they're meant to keep things fair. Minnesotans generally are okay with that. And I think we're also an animal loving state. And so when Canterbury Park started in 1985, the state racing commission and the chief veterinarian that they hired wrote pretty strict rules, certainly compared to other tracks at the time, very strict rules on uh, various horse safety uh, ideas that uh, for instance, They have an age limit at Canterbury. If your horse is older than 11 years old, he can't run at Canterbury. Uh, You have certain um, performance mandates that if a horse has uh, been out of competition for three years, you can't run at Canterbury. If you have been off for more than a year, you have to pass a a veterinary test. You have to pass a, a minimum time standard. You have to get a drug test. And a lot of states weren't doing anything like that. I think in Minnesota, People recognize that horse racing would not fly with the public if it were not well regulated and people didn't think that the horses were protected. No, that's a good point. And, you know, and it's, you know, it probably improves not just horse safety, but the quality of the racing. But on the on the flip side, as you wrote, I believe, like some some trainers, some people won't even come here to race because the rules are so strict, right? That's absolutely correct. Some of the veterinarians at Canterbury that work at other tracks know of trainers that simply say, I don't want to put up with those rules. I won't go there. And they also get a lot of flack from from people. One of the veterinarians was once told that she was taking food out of the mouths of a trainer's children because she scratched the horse. And in her mind, she's scratching the horse because that horse showed some kind of infirmity that led her to believe it would be unsafe 
to run. But there are some trainers that simply want to put those horses out there and they think, well, if it's a little bit sore, it won't hurt anything, but that can lead to tragedy. And we should point out too that uh, human safety is paramount because quite often when these horses go down in a race, jockeys are paralyzed or killed. It happens more frequently than people realize that they have terrible, terrible injuries when the horses go down with the humans as well. You know, maybe this is naive of me, but it kind of surprises me that there's some resistance to the oversight, not because I don't think people are stubborn. Obviously, I get that. But like this is the horses are an investment. Like, why wouldn't why would you be against horse safety if your horse is your investment and part of your livelihood? You would think that, wouldn't you? And yet there are certain trainers, typically the lower level trainers who have inexpensive horses who it's all about the cash flow for them. They they have that horse on a schedule. They want him to run every two weeks or however often they've got him on schedule. And if he misses a race, then that's money that they can't make off that horse. And horses are very expensive to keep. So you're, you know, you've got feed and vet bills and shoe bills and everything else going on, whether or not the horse is running. So you want to keep him running as often as he can to, to cover his expenses and make some money. And so if he misses a start because he gets scratched, that's a problem. So that's some people look at it strictly in those dollars and cents terms. Yeah. Well, and speaking of which, Canterbury's racing season is underway, started on Saturday, like we said at the beginning. How was how was opening weekend and how are they kind of dealing with some of the some of the changes out there? Opening weekend was pretty good. They had about 7,000 people on Saturday, so they had a very nice crowd. 1.1 million total handle. I believe they did 1.5 million total on on Sunday and just under a million on Monday. So the handle numbers continue to be really good. They're pursuing this hybrid strategy again this year where they have the Sunday afternoon racing because they know that, that Minnesotans want to come out to the track on Sunday afternoon. That's a very popular thing. But they're also doing the racing in the evening, particularly on Wednesday evenings. They've targeted times when there aren't as many tracks running so that the simulcast players in other states might wager on Canterbury if they they'll, they'll find it a little bit easier. And, and it's, it's good racing to wager on. So that's really helped keep that total handle up. And the purses this year are going to be down about 10% from last year because the Mystic Lake purse enhancement deal did expire last December 31st. And that was contributing around seven or $8 million a year to the purses. So that is a big chunk of change that they have to replace. And they right now don't have any means to replace that. So the purse money is coming from the money that people wager, a cut of that goes to purses. And then a cut of the card club money goes to purses. And they, they still need a decent amount of money to make up the hole from, from Mystic Lake. They were hoping sports wagering might provide a little bit. That was never, it's not going to be a huge moneymaker for them, but they were hoping to get a little bit out of that. And of course, then that died and no, no bill was passed in right. the legislative session that just ended. So that is something they will probably look at again next year. But that's that's kind of job one for Canterbury Racing right now is trying to figure out a strategy for how do they increase those purses? Because you have to have good purses to attract good horses, and that in turn attracts the wagering. Is that kind of the cycle? Is that the kind of the upshot of this? Or is, you know, 10%, maybe to some people, doesn't sound like 
a ton, but I imagine that it makes a pretty big difference when you're talking about, like you said, quality of, you know, the quality of the racing and other things like that. And just the overall bottom line of the operation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Purses are really important. If you want to get the, the better trainers, you've got to have good purse numbers. Interestingly, there's a little bit of a Minnesota discount that people will take, as we've seen with some professional athletes, as you know, Mike, that they want yes. to play like playing here. So they might take a slight salary reduction in order to play in Minnesota. We see the same thing with horse racing. There are some trainers that really like Canterbury. There are lots of trainers that like the safety rules and they like the fact that Canterbury gets lively crowds. A lot of racetracks around the country get almost no attendance now. So there are plenty of people that enjoy racing here and they're willing to run for a little bit less money, but you can't count too heavily on that. You've got to have those purses at a competitive level to attract the kind of horses you need to, to keep the, the business thriving. Yeah. Well, and you talking about, you know, other athletes compared to Canterbury gave me an, an, an entry point into something I was thinking about when you were talking about the the horse safety and just, it, it feels like, I think Jim Suhan had a column last week when he talked to Carlos Correa and how just athletes these days, you know, kind of like the horses you were talking about, aren't built as much for endurance somewhat they're they're kind of they're built for explosiveness and power and sometimes that you know kind of it's it seems like a it seems like it's counterintuitive but if you are you know if you are bigger faster stronger that doesn't obviously doesn't automatically translate into being you know more sturdy sometimes it means you are actually in in more fragile and maybe that is it's like you said some of what's happening with these horses that are being bred to be younger faster quicker right away that's a really, really good analogy. And the problem in horse racing is that the big money is in the stallion fees. It's in sending, having your male horse that you then send off to the stallion barn and get $200,000 per mating. And, and some of these horses are bred, you know, 200 times a year. It's, it's incredible amounts of money through that end of the business. So what people are looking for is horses that make a big splash as two-year-olds, and then they win the big prestige races at age three. They win the Kentucky Derby or the Preakness or the Belmont Stakes, the Breeders' Cup. A lot of these horses are being sent off to the breeding shed right after the three-year-old season. We don't even know how much stamina they have, how much endurance they have, whether whether they could have a long racing career. And then those are the horses that that are bred. And some of these horses as well have known infirmities you know some of them we've seen horses that have had to miss the kentucky derby because they had a foot issue or a leg issue well then that horse wins another big race goes to the breeding shed and that may be a genetic thing that you're then breeding into future generations of horses so interesting well really interesting story go check that out if you get a chance and um rachel i want to give you a couple minutes here to talk about something you've got coming up without giving it all away it sounds like you've got a pretty interesting horse tale uh coming up to celebrate a pretty big uh anniversary in horse racing absolutely the anniversary that we're talking about is the 50th anniversary of secretary's triple crown in 1973 that anybody who was around at that time and watched that will absolutely never forget it one one of the greatest sporting performances in american history human horse anybody, I think, was Secretariat's Belmont when he pulled away and won by 31 lengths, this astounding, astounding performance. And believe it or not, there is a Minnesota connection to Secretariat that I think a lot of people are unaware of. And so we will be writing about that in the Star Tribune, about this uh, very interesting tale of how Secretariat managed to get connected to a Minnesota family. 
there's always a Minnesota angle to these stories, Rachel, not just horse racing, like anything you, you, someone comes here for the Super Bowl, and we, we discover like eight, eight Minnesota angles, like there, there's always a Minnesota angle somehow, I don't know how it happens, maybe we're just looking for them, but it's very true, isn't it? The minute I heard about this story, I said, there you go, there is <laughs> always a Minnesota angle, always. <laughs> Well, I look forward to reading that. That'll be in uh, print and online in the coming days. Rachel, always enjoy catching up. Enjoy the rest of your day, and I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Thanks so much. Always enjoy catching up with Rachel Blount, and I encourage you to go read that story on Secretariat once it comes out. should be a great one, um, a good tale to tell with that Minnesota connection to Secretariat. Like we said, there's always a Minnesota connection somewhere, and Rachel has found it, so that will be a fun story when it comes out in the coming days. Let's finish with the cooler. A couple of results-based things and not good ones. Familiar problems for both the Lynx and the Twins in losses on Tuesday. For the Lynx, it was a bad second quarter, and it seems like this season, you know, with a team that is young and, you know, prone to struggle, we knew this was probably going to be a rebuild to a certain degree, and, you know, a team that definitely has an eye on 2024 and adding more draft capital and what is going to be an excellent 2024 draft. Um, they've just had these isolated stretches where they have not competed well, and it was the second quarter in their loss against Dallas on Tuesday, outscored 27-15, to and that kind of stuck with them. The rest of the game could not catch up, could not overcome Dallas. They lose by five, so they fall to 0-5 this season, you know, and maybe a bigger story within that story is Diamond Miller, their number two overall pick, uh, hurt her ankle in this game. We'll see how long she is out with that with that injury seems like you know maybe an ankle sprain and you know those uh, those take time those are not devastating or catastrophic injuries but if it's a sprain you could imagine especially if it's a high ankle sprain it could be a, you know a, a, an injury that takes weeks and not just days to heal so we'll see how that goes but you know again a team that when you're bad you don't always just get blown out these games are close but you lose on the margins and that's what the Lynx are doing right now now the twins the, they're, they're in this they're in this pattern right now where they're they're either feast or famine on offense. They're not you know their offense has just been completely inconsistent. So look at the last six games. I want to look this up. The last six games for the Twins lost last night five to one to the Astros. They won the previous night seven to five. Lost the game before that to the Blue Jays three to nothing. Won the game before that nine to seven. Lost the game before that to the Blue Jays three to one, and won the game before that against the Giants seven to one. So in the last six games, they've scored nine, seven, seven, one, one, zero. So basically, it's all or nothing. They're not getting a lot of fours and fives games where they're going to be a little bit more competitive, no matter what. They are either going to, you know, get everybody going and get you know put up a, a bunch of crooked numbers, or they're going to get nothing going and give themselves basically no chance to win. Now Joe Ryan. Had a rough outing against Houston in this game. Might not have mattered too much because he gave up all five of those runs, I think, in four innings. But this, this question of offensive consistency is plaguing them. I think Royce and I talked about it on Monday. You look at the overall numbers, and maybe they don't look quite as bad. But when you look at you know scoring two or fewer runs in like a third of their games, you're not giving yourself much of a chance in any of those games. I know the pitching has been great. They've won a few of those because the pitching has just been that good. But when you score that few nah, number of runs, you are not giving yourself a chance to win. And that's what the Twins are doing right now in way too many games. 
Final thought, like I said at the beginning, Gerson Rosas with the Knicks. He's been an executive there for the past year. That could be getting even more interesting because the Knicks and general manager Scott Perry are parting ways after six seasons together. This is according to an SNY.TV report citing sources. Perry's on an expiring contract, and he's not going to be coming back. What will that mean in New York? What does that mean for their offseason, which could involve a pursuit of Carl Anthony Towns? I don't know. Could, could, could. That's a big question mark. The more I read about Towns, the more I'm convinced the Wolves are not going to move him, even though I think they should at least consider that. Um, the interesting thing is you get to the bottom of the story, though, you know, one of the very last uh, paragraphs, and it sounds like Newsday was the first one to report this story, so credit to Newsday. Um, Gerson Rosas, like I said, was added as an executive with the Knicks last season. He could get a promotion to general manager, according to this report. So watch for that, former Timberwolves personnel boss Gerson Rosas fired right before the start of the season a few years back kind of threw that whole situation into a bit of turmoil um, but that that could be an interesting development if he is put in charge of the Knicks especially with his past connections to the Wolves so watch for that we'll see if that comes to pass we'll see how that all plays out in New York that will do it for me here today. Should have a fun show coming up um, on Thursday. Expecting to have Jeff Day from the Star Tribune on. Just wrote about franchise valuations in the Twin Cities market. How they've just skyrocketed in the past years and decades. Should be a fun conversation about that. So hope you will stick around for that. Until then, I'm Michael Rand. Back at it again on Thursday. <laughs>